The image of Jesus as a good shepherd is one of the most popular comforting images. It connotes peace and tranquility. Jesus there with the flock, leading them to lush pastures and protecting them. And of course, also too, Jesus speaks about the shepherd that goes after the lost sheep. And so often we think of the shepherd carrying that lost sheep back to the flock. Now, that's how we think of the good shepherd. But if we're paying attention closely to when Jesus originally gave this speech, uh, we see that people didn't react that same way. In fact, they were shocked and divided. So I want to situate what Jesus is saying in today's gospel with what happens before and after. This helps us to understand why they were shocked and divided. So right before Jesus gives the discourse in the Good Shepherd, he had given sight to the man born blind. And you would think that's a good thing, but not everyone was happy about it. So remember, he gave him sight on the Sabbath. And so the religious leaders were very critical of that. In fact, they kicked the man out of the synagogue, the man who had been given sight. And Jesus, he ended, he ended his conversation there by saying to the Pharisees, um, by saying to the Pharisees, if, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you are saying, we see, and so your sin remains. And so part of the Good Shepherd discourse, actually, is Jesus continuing his own critique of the Pharisees, that they are not leaders to be trusted. They are not authentic shepherds who are acting to care for God's people. At the end of this discourse, this is how John describes people's reactions. Again, there was a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he is possessed and out of his mind. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one possessed. Surely a demon cannot open the eyes of the blind, can he? So part of the reason for this reaction is when Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd, is that he is using a metaphor that Israel had applied to God, to Yahweh. As we sung in the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, there is nothing I shall want. It is true that sometimes the leaders of Israel are also referred to as shepherds in a secondary way, but the way that Jesus is describing himself is quite different. So Jesus not only says, I am the good shepherd, um, but he also says, I am the gate. And he says, whoever enters through me will be saved. So no king and no prophet would ever say something like that about themselves. So this is one of the ways in which Jesus is teaching about his divinity, his unique sonship and relationship with the Father, and that he is the unique, that he is the unique Savior. Now, he also refers, there's these other characters in the parable besides a shepherd and sheep. What are they? They're hirelings, just hired hands who don't really care about the sheep. There's thieves and robbers who seek to destroy them. There are wolves. Some of you know that we have a wonderful program for three to five-year-olds. We call it Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. So it uses Montessori teaching methods to help them learn about the faith and really develop a relationship with the Good Shepherd. And so one of the, the ways that this is taught is through these little models or, or um, figures, figurines, you know, and there's a figurine of a sheepfold and sheep and a shepherd. 
Now, I have to check with Miss Jenna, but I don't think they include figurines of uh, the thief, the robbers, the wolves, and the hirelings. You see, and if it was up to me, I probably would have those too, you know, and then the little boys can have the wolves attack the sheep, and then Jesus can take a staff and beat up the wolves, right? It's a good thing I'm not in charge of the program, right? So, there are two aspects that, you know, I talked about the reaction of the original audience, but even today, we can't fully embrace what Jesus is saying for two main reasons. Uh, the first is, is we, we neglect the mortal danger that is part of the Good Shepherd discourse, okay? There are thieves and, and robbers and wolves and hirelings. There is a mortal danger. And secondly, we're not comfortable in saying that Jesus is the only one who can deliver us from that danger. Jesus is the exclusive Savior. We're not comfortable saying that. We live in a pluralistic society. Peter had no hesitation preaching that way. Our first reading is from his Pentecost sermon. Now, I want to first tell you the sermon that Peter didn't give. Peter didn't give this sermon. You're all pretty good people. We have some problems, but we can solve these by being nice to each other and learning to get along by listening to each other and accompanying the other on their personal journey of self-discovery. If we could just affirm everyone and make them feel welcome and stop using fossil fuels, everything would be great. That's not the sermon he gave. Now, we only get a slight bit of his sermon in the gospel selection that we have, and even, even Luke records that he even said more that day. It's a beautiful sermon. I encourage you to go back and read it. But three of the lines we did get from today's gospel. So he, remember, he's saying to these are Jews that are gathered from all parts of the world that have come to the feast for Pentecost. Many of them weren't even there in the city when Jesus was killed. But this is what Peter says to them. God has made him both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. And he could say that to us because it was our sins that crucified Jesus. He says to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the Holy Spirit. He says to them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And what's their reaction to this preaching? It says they were cut to the heart and they asked the apostles, what are we to do? If you want to see a good modern example of preaching like this, um, look up some videos on YouTube of Billy Graham Crusades. So he's an evangelical pastor, but he would gather people in stadiums and he would, he would preach this basic message called the kerygma, which is, um, we're in a big mess. <laughs> we're, we're sinners, we're on the road to hell, but God loves us. So he has sent us his son. If we have faith in him and we trust in him, we can be saved. It's a timeless presentation of the gospel, which is true and effective. And it echoes the voice of the Good Shepherd. It includes a conviction of our sinfulness and an appreciation of the danger. And then a turning to God in Jesus Christ for salvation. Those who belong to Jesus recognize his voice. And when the voice of a stranger comes along, they have a little warning signal that goes off. I remember in the 1980s, there was 
something uh, called an awareness of stranger danger. I don't know if any of you are about my generation, there were some highly publicized child abductions. And so I remember my mom instructing us, not just strangers, but anyone who was doing anything that might make us feel uncomfortable, scream, yell, run. <laughs> and she said, you know, this is before mobile phones, if for some reason, you know, my car stalls, I can't pick you up. If I send someone to pick you up, they have to know the code word. Did any of you do the code word thing? No one? Okay. <laughs> so our code word was dishdasha, which is a Chaldean word for pajamas. <laughs> But our mom loved us like the Good Shepherd and that she warned us to not trust everyone who comes along. We live, brothers and sisters, in a very corrupt generation and we need to have that sense of when is it Jesus who's talking to us and when are there strangers who don't have our best interests at heart. Now what I'm going to say here is part of my own interpretation of this so don't get too worked up but my own discernment. <laughs> we have a lot of big corporations that fleece us for profit that have created a brave new world of constant pleasure and distraction. We have an arrogant government complying with the media that has spun us all kinds of stories laced with falsehoods, including stories about COVID, including stories about war. Listen, when I was a young man, I was all for US intervention in Iraq and other adventures in the Middle East. And now we learn that we've been lied to and they haven't turned out well. People thought they could create a whole different kind of country just through power. Many people suffered because of that. And I think similar things are going on with war today that we are supporting. The whole COVID narrative was filled with lies. I just talked to a priest who was a mentor for me when I was young. He's in a religious order. He hasn't been able to live in his religious order for over two years. He got COVID, he recovered. And he did his own research and realized that he didn't need the vaccine, neither for his own health nor to protect the health of others, since he had gotten COVID and recovered. But his religious superiors will not allow him to even come there into the community now for years. And it breaks my heart. It's, I, I don't think they're listening to the voice of the Good Shepherd. They're listening to people who have assumed authority for themselves and, and say that they're doing it, what's good for us. And I think they've made a lot of mistakes. And you can notice, too, you can notice there's, a, I think, even an awareness that they're not right as they try to squash dissent and deplatform people and make it hard for anyone who questions their narratives to get a, to get a hearing. The faithful Christian learns to recognize the voice of the Good Shepherd through sacred scripture and tradition and internalizes his words through a life of prayer and discipleship and will not follow strangers. I have spoken with many of you who are deeply distressed by the times we live in. And I believe things are going to get worse before they get better. The tension between the world and the gospel is going to increase. Our second reading also has Peter teaching, but this time many decades later. He is writing to a church that is being persecuted, Christians who are suffering and dying for their faith in Jesus. And he reminds them that Christ suffered for them and left them an example of how to suffer well. 
It was David who wrote the beautiful 23rd Psalm, who could reflect on his own experience tending the sheep of his family's flock. But we now know that we can pray that psalm with Jesus in mind. Though I walk in the dark valley, I fear no evil, for you are at my side. With your rod and staff, you give me courage.